Doc's Watch is meant for entertainment purposes only and not, I repeat, not meant to give medical advice or diagnosis. Always consult your doctor and not your podcast host if you have a medical question, concern, or ailment. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Doc's Watch, the show where real doctors tell you what's real, what's not, and what's maybe possible in your favorite movies and TV shows. I'm Dr. Jen. And I'm Dr. Deepa. This is the second of our three Twilight-related episodes, and in this one, we're going to continue our build-up to Bella Swan's horrifying birth scene. In which she gives birth, not in which she is born. But before we can even talk about the process of giving birth, we need to talk about what comes before that. You know, how babies get made. Pregnancy. We're talking about pregnancy, all right? You might think you know about the birds and the bees, but sometimes it's a little less straightforward than you'd think. So in this episode, we're going to cover how get prangent, why you shouldn't if you find yourself in a science fiction or fantasy TV show or movie, and what we would do if pregnant Bella Swan showed up in the ER. Enjoy! Okay, Deepa, let's go to rounds. So today we're talking, we're continuing our journey through Twilight, which is now part yeah. two Ultimately, of this is part two of Twilight. Part two of three Twilight. Yeah, I, never, I never thought that I was going to talk this much about Twilight. It's not just but talking this much about Twilight, I, but reading this much about Twilight. Yes. Without actually this much reading about Twilight. Twilight. Without reading Twilight or even watching the movies. I have to say though that I'm really excited actually for the third part. I'm also really excited for this one. Yeah. But I'm also really excited for the third part. <laughs> I still have to watch the movie, so I'm excited about it, too. I'm just relying on you to do that. Yeah, I am the designated uh, movie watcher. So today we're going to be talking about, uh, I guess, broadly, we're going to talk about pregnancy. Which is very broad. Specifically because in uh, Twilight uh, Breaking Dawn, right? Yes. Uh, our Our protagonist bella swan becomes pregnant and it is very exciting well similarly to the vampire episode um we want to talk about the birth because it is a whole thing the birth is its own to do that yeah yeah, we need to talk about pregnancy. 100%. So that's what we're going to do today. Yeah. So um, we also wanted to, I think we also wanted to talk about pregnancy because pregnancy, um, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but pregnancy shows up in a lot of the types of things that we talk about, which is like science fiction, a lot of it is science fiction, fantasy, comic books, all that kind of stuff. Um, and generally I feel like the, uh, you know, like the depiction of pregnancy and especially those types of fictional universes is, uh, rot, let's just say. Yes. And actually Agreed. pregnancy on film generally, uh, mainly because most of that is, I think, written, uh, and created by men who don't get to experience this particular aspect of life. Um, yeah, cis men. Yeah. Specifically. Specifically. But. Um, so I think, so what we'll start with is we'll start with like a quick overview of pregnancy and then we'll mm-hmm. go into a very quick overview, very quick overview. <laughs> then we'll go into like, uh, pregnancy in like science fiction and fantasy, um, some tropes, that kind of stuff. And then we'll get into Bella's pregnancy. Yeah. Which is, oh man, it's a trip. Yeah. So, and then we'll do a fun exercise, which will be a surprise. <laughs> yeah. So Deepa, <laughs> How girls get pregnant 
<laughs> Don't you, you cannot do that to me at the how, beginning. How get prangent. <laughs> how get prangent. Um, so that is in reference to something we will talk about at the end. But uh, obviously pregnancy is as old as humanity by definition. Sure. Um, okay. And You're it. Going way back in time. You, it consists of germ cells meeting each other. We all start out as just two parts of a germ. <laughs> two parts germ oh one part soul um and so in in humans we call that germ cell in the male a sperm and in the female oh. an egg um and they have to meet each other and i i think we all know how that happens <laughs> um and then fertilization has to happen so basically i don't know if you've ever seen you probably have seen like a picture of what it looks like like the ovum or the egg cell is like this huge thing and the sperm is like this tiny guy with a little tail and what it has to do is it has to kind of like latch onto the egg and then basically like inject its genetic material inside mm-hmm. right that's basically it's like a it. metaphor <laughs> it's like an actual <laughs> thing happening it's not even a metaphor anyway, um, <laughs> anyway um so they, the fertilized egg then has to implant into the uterus, which is the organ in which the uh, fetus or the embryo that then becomes a fetus develops. Um, and then mm-hmm. basically the one true miracle on earth, I think, in my opinion, the greatest miracle on earth actually starts to happen. Um, and yeah. that all of these are a series of miracles. It is the egg honestly your uterus is like a miracle. And then what happens afterwards is and a miracle. And the fact that it just, just takes like, you know, it takes uh, the, you know, it takes such little inf- DNA. It takes the same amount of DNA information that you currently have um, to do the next series of extremely complicated steps, which is right. that that fertilized egg has to implant into the uterus, ideally in the right, in a good spot. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain spots of the uterus and the rest of the fallopian tube uh, ovary apparatus that are less good to implant. Sometimes outside of Sometimes that Sometimes outside. Those are not as good. <laughs> but it implants there. And then basically it has to go through the steps not only to create the early uh, sort of cellular material of the embryo, but it also has to go through the steps to create like the placenta and all these other things. It it starts a lot of signaling cascades that change all the hormones in your body that will now focus on maintaining the pregnancy um, for the next however long the pregnancy lasts. Right. So (laughs) a typical human gestation, we call it. So gestation is what we call uh, pregnancy um, is 40 weeks. Um, And I this used to drive me crazy in med school because we would be like because as pediatricians, we talk about births in terms of number of weeks, like how many weeks were you when you were born? Right. 40 weeks is like full term. And Mm -hmm. uh, but people say that they're pregnant for nine months. Right. And I was like, 40 weeks is 10 months. We need to rectify this. So <laughs> the reason is because 40 weeks, it's at, it's from the first day of your last period. And so that's why it becomes this like weird 40 weeks, nine months situation, which is fine. It's a technicality, but it's probably a technicality that was like infuriating enough for me to not go into OBGYN. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, it's infuriating enough that it's confusing. Right. It makes things kind of confusing when you're trying to calculate stuff. Or even when you're trying to ask people questions about their pregnancy. Because because like, well, because like then you have it set up as with many things 
where medical people talk about things in one way and mean one thing. Yeah. And then like lay people talk about it in a different way and, and in, mean and a in, different and thing. It's in a, in, and it's in such a like universal experience as pregnancy. It's not like a disease. Right. It, this is like right. normal human physiology. And we have two different right. ways of talking about it. Anyway, whatever. So your normal pregnancies <laughs> are divided up into trimesters and the trimesters. So like, why do we have three trimesters? And it's it's mainly because it divides up like very specific parts of the pregnancy, not only from the like embryology aspect of it, but also from like the physiologic aspect of like the woman who is pregnant. Um, so the first trimester is like the first 13 weeks. And this is like the most critical. This is the greatest achievement of your life is what I like to tell people. Like the fact that you made it through the first truly eight weeks um, uh, is you will never achieve anything more incredible than that. Because basically what has to happen is the two cells that came together then have to turn into like uh, heart, lungs, stomach, arms, legs, eyes, all these things. And it has to do it exactly correctly. Brain. And any kind of like little variation in, in the very early stages can like lead down to like really terrible malformations later on. So this process is actually like it's it's mostly understood, but it's definitely not completely understood because it is like quite a complicated thing where like your cells are doing a lot of stuff and there's not at the same time that they are multiplying they're also like changing their function changing their job like what it is they do they're going from like cells that can be anything to cells that are like just a finger you know it's like crazy <laughs> it's awesome um and a lot of your most vital organs are developed by about eight weeks this first stage of pregnancy is also like I would say all of pregnancy can be so people experience pregnancy in different ways. Every pregnancy is unique and different. But this is the part where like some of the most uh, sort of uncomfortable parts of pregnancy are. Yeah. Like classically, if you get bad morning sickness, it's like the worst in the first trimester. Yeah. And then it gets better. Like you have a lot Things of like that. Your, your, your body has to adjust to a lot of like hormonal changes and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like you might feel bad and sick and. Um, and this is like when you might be like very sensitive to like certain smells or whatever, like it can be, you might not look as pregnant, but you like will definitely like feel pregnant. <laughs> like you will feel that your body is working really hard because it truly a lot is happening. Um, the second trimester is usually from about 14 weeks to we say 26 weeks. Um, and during this phase, so in the first trimester, you go from what we call embryogenesis, which is like random cells slowly coming together to make what is like closer to a fetus. Um, and then in the second trimester, it's mostly just like fetal development. Like everything kind of grows and settles into like a bigger version, a more complete version, a more complex version of the thing that it started as. And this mm -hmm. is when you can start to like feel the baby move. You can feel it kick, kick. And people generally say that the second trimester is like a little more comfortable for the woman who's pregnant. Um, I mean, I would say Side, that sidebar, like, neither of us have been pregnant. Neither of us so. have been exactly. Yeah, that's true. Good. That is a good disclaimer. Neither of us have been pregnant. I had plenty of pregnant friends. I would say that some people have are have done OB gen rotations. Yes. But. And some people are pregnant, like even through this. I mean, sorry, are are uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> some people are uncomfortable even in the second trimester. Like it's not it, some people say that like, oh, like the second trimester is like the easiest. It might be, but you can still have like generally things like your back kind of hurts. You can have heartburn. I also feel have... like it's relative. Yeah. Right. Because like 
Because like I, I've also heard from like friends that have been pregnant, et cetera, that the second trimester is easier, but you're like relative to what? Like relative to vomiting every morning and not <laughs> exactly. being able to eat things, like sure. And being like, <laughs> like I cannot have I had a I knew I knew a girl uh who could not be smell or eat anything that was like cooked food like she could like that would make her oh sick gosh. so her and her poor husband were just eating like cold sandwiches and salads like every day because they because like she couldn't even like be around it because it would make her so sick i felt so bad um but yeah and the second trimester is when you start to like really look pregnant like that's when the uterus like the uterus starts to grow like you start to like gain some weight and like that's that's when you start to look more pregnant the third trimester like really the ba- the fetus is moving around um this is when you also gain the most weight and then right at the end especially like all of the symptoms become like bad <laughs> like the back pain you can have urinary incontinence your sleep is all over the place uh because of the positioning of the uterus in the abdominal cavity in certain positions like you can block your inferior vena cava so you get you can get like lots of swelling and sleeping becomes uncomfortable i don't know the whole thing it can be very bad um but eventually you uh have a baby that is the goal that is the goal And so that's like, that's basically how pregnancy works. So in a human, a human gestation yeah, is 40 weeks. That's like a quick weeks. and dirty overview. Yeah. A human gestation yeah. is 40 weeks. The most critical for embryonic development is like the first eight to 10. Uh, and it can either be like, th- there is a huge range of how women experience pregnancy. Some people ha- feel like they have great pregnancies throughout. Some people are miserable throughout. There's lots of complications that can happen at any point during a pregnancy that we are just not going to go into because it is an entire field of medicine on its own that we <laughs> did not go yep. through. Yeah. I think like, I think basically with this episode and the next one and really a lot of our episodes, yeah. like we're going to give you a quick overview of some things, but like each of these topics could be a whole <laughs> textbook and, and, is a whole textbook. and an entire podcast on of it unto itself yeah so i also feel like generally i think pregnancy is interesting because um i think like our perspective of being pediatricians and like maybe other medical providers like obgyns and stuff like that like i feel like we interface with pregnancy a lot um and so we don't yeah. we so we think about it all the time like especially like because like i do pediatric cardiology and so like it's a lot of congenital heart disease you're oftentimes talking to recently pregnant women but generally yeah. like in the greater world i feel like pregnancy is not talked about um like regularly uh, no. amongst like non- yeah i definitely think it is field specific like pediatric specific too yeah um because even among other medical providers like the focus doesn't need to be on pregnancy yeah and for pediatrics like we still talk about it a lot when we take histories and stuff because depending on the age of like the child that you're taking care of pregnancy is very relevant right like when like the things that happened how many weeks they were at when they were born what happened during pregnancy how did their their birth go etc like all of those things are relevant so when we take like a pediatric history when we take it we take a birth history which is something like as an adult person like listening to this podcast when you go to the doctor i am pretty sure nobody has been like how many oh, weeks were you full were you? term when you were born <laughs> did your mom yeah, have to take like, any special medicine you ask <laughs> but you know if we're taking care of like a two-month-old that's actually really relevant information so yeah. we we ask about that stuff at yeah. every visit like when we meet new patients yeah. so we talk about it a lot yeah but i feel yeah but, i feel like growing up like you don't really learn about pregnancy 
um, in any major context aside, unless like you're around somebody who is pregnant. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just not a topic that people talk about. And even then, I think like pregnancy and women's health in general is like woefully misunderstood. And most people do not have enough information about those things. And then um, that leads to a lot of tropes. Yes. In sci-fi fantasy, not even just sci-fi fantasy, but just like media in general. Why don't you tell me about Um, some of those tropes? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to I can't even tell you about all of them because, again, that is like an entire other thing. But I will tell you about a few a few that I really hate a Great. lot. <laughs> so, Great. If there's anything we welcome here so, is hating things. Yeah, we're just going to rant a lot about how people don't understand pregnancy. Anyway, so one of the things I really don't like about pregnancy tropes in sci-fi fantasy in particular is oftentimes it is used, like pregnancy is used to like sideline quote unquote strong female characters. Mm. So often like a hyper competent woman who is just like going about doing her job. There's a whole other discussion we can have about the problems with quote unquote strong female characters, but frequently what will happen is when they are very competent and when there's like essentially a lag in the story and people don't have any ideas for something better to do, they will just like have this woman become pregnant. And it is like, Usually in the context of making her, like, softer or, yeah. like, a specific representation of femininity, or which like is, like... weaker and, like, like a little right. bit fundamentally weaker. Right. And it's... it's and, then, and then it kind of pulls focus from any kind of competencies that they had before and just... They are now just a pregnant person. Like, they're no longer... Right. Whatever their role before doesn't matter anymore. They are now just, like, a pregnant person, which is annoying in multiple ways. One, it's that, like... The idea that, you know, women can't be women unless they can get pregnant, which is ridiculous because not all women can get pregnant. Yeah. And then also the idea that, like, if you're a pregnant person, you can't be strong or interesting or have agency. that the only thing interesting about you is that you are pregnant. (laughs) Like, the only thing we can talk about now is your pregnancy. So it kind of reduces women to basically, like, biological functions. And again, not all women can get pregnant, right? Like... Yeah. Fertility issues are incredibly common and also trans women are women. And in sci-fi and like fantasy and stuff like that, oftentimes they become like pregnant as a product of like violence in some way. Yes. And I was like, you guys just like really leveled up patriarchy. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) And then then on top of that, because like we talked about historically and even today, just statistically, a lot of stories are written by men Mm -hmm. and specifically cis men. Mm -hmm. Um, the portrayal of pregnancy is like all at once magical and kind of like incredible and like this weird process that nobody can understand. And then also like really gross, weird body horror yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like um, there's a living being that's like growing inside of you and you're like, yeah, yeah it's just being <laughs> pregnant. Yeah. And like the most common, I think, at least to me, I feel like the most common trip that I've seen, particularly in sci-fi fantasy is mystical or magical pregnancies, Mm -hmm. which is basically like babies being conceived via magical magic or like something magical happening to the fetus. And usually, like you said, this is through violence or like non-consensual, like something, something yeah, like non-consensual. Yeah. It's just like not, Um, not something that the, the woman who will be pregnant asked for. Right. And we'll link a couple of things, but there, there was like, um, feminist frequency did a little video about this called the mystical pregnancy, which we'll link in the liner notes. And then, um, there's just like so many examples of this in sci-fi fantasy shows and including like, 
like Cordelia and Angel got just like such a short end of the stick. It happened to her twice in that show. <laughs> Poor Cordelia. Just like, Man, when she was introduced yeah. on Buffy, she was just like some like cheerleader who happened to learn yeah. about their Scooby gang and then became part of it. And now she had to be yeah. like vampire pregnant twice. Twice. And then I don't even remember the details of each of them, but they were equally horrifying. Yeah. If I recall correctly. Right. And then I think like the Alien series is pretty classic because all of the Xenomorph body horror stuff is like clearly a pregnancy birth related, like, I guess metaphor, but sometimes not even a metaphor because they're basically just like, you know, ejecting people with these <laughs> parasites and yeah. then like they burst out of you. So it's like a very thinly veiled metaphor, I guess, <laughs> but it is like clearly a body horror situation and yeah. then there's a lot of like like in xeno warrior princess in torchwood and like so many sci-fi fantasy shows there's the whole like people get pregnant with like the great evil that is going to like try to destroy the world essentially <laughs> satan like that is just a thing that happens over and over again <laughs> which is gosh you know a thing which and is then like i think the other it's, it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, I mean, basically it's like all of these negative feelings are assigned to pregnancy. And then at the same yeah. time, the pregnancy is, it's like very clearly just like a plot device because it doesn't last long. <laughs> they usually are very no. quick pregnancies. Um, and oftentimes in some shows, they like just completely undo them, right? right. Like I think there was an infamous Star Trek episode. I want to say it's Star Trek. Yeah, it was Star Trek. I did not watch. I have not seen this episode, but I forget who it is, but gets impregnated by like a ball of light and then has a baby. And then this baby like grows up within the span of a day and then dies. And oh, then they yeah. just like kind of never reference her like dead light child again. Yeah. And I'm just like, what is happening? Right yeah, it, it really it's just like it's one of the uh, facets of just like women in these types of stories and somehow yeah. even if their characters are like kind of like you talked about before like quote-unquote strong female characters which has its like own issue or whatever like their mm -hmm. pregnancy reduces them so much that then when you erase the pregnancy you also erase like any notion that a pregnant woman could have been attached to the thing that she was pregnant with right in any kind right. of like complex most way shows yeah because most shows don't really deal with like the aftermath of pregnancy yeah. like in these in these places where like either magically now they're not pregnant anymore with future satan or whatever <laughs> or they give birth to future satan or something yeah nobody like there are very few shows i think that actually deal with the aftermath of that like emotionally or anything physically whatever like in any kind of competent way yeah honestly. oh yeah like i can't think of anything just barely um, unpregnant women on yeah. tv in in these types of like and in, in movies in fantasies and not uh post-pregnant characters very rarely look like what post-pregnant people look like no yeah and then i think like the other uh big pregnancy trope that i really do not like in sci-fi fantasy is like pregnancy farms slash women as baby factories oh I yeah feel like i see this a lot on like longer running sci-fi shows it's usually not in like the first two seasons it's usually like once we hit three four five it's like we, we're, we're running out of ideas we need to have yeah, baby farm like, time yeah like battlestar galactica did this with starbuck that was really annoying and then anytime a lot of times when there's like a dystopian society um people start thinking about it like mad max does this yeah. right with like the wives like some kind of um, forced birth 
Right. Something. Right. Which is just... Yeah. All of these ideas are, um, I think, extensively reviewed in, like, women's and feminist uh, research scholars and all that kind of stuff. This is just our... This is, like, an entire field of our interpretation of it. Um, I'm just ranting a little bit about things that I hate. But if you wanted to read more about this, there's a lot of literature. But Twilight, Twilight also sort of, like, falls into this same category... It actually right. falls into like all of these categories. Yeah, Twilight <laughs> hits a lot of these notes yeah. really well. So um, I'm going to, so let's review basically. So previously on Twilight, um, yeah. <laughs> we have established. Which I, I, I have not, I did not see Breaking Dawn. So Deepa is going to do a quick recap yes, for I watched all of us. This, I watched what Twilight is. So previously, as we discussed in our first episode, uh, we sort of covered like what vampires are. So Bella Swan, she's a human. She moves to this like, I don't know, like Forks, which is somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. It's cloudy all the time. The vampires, they're made out of rocks. They live forever. They maybe need to drink blood. It's a little unclear. Uh, but Because they're rocks. The only thing that they... Uh, that can kill them is like werewolves. Um, and Bella falls in love with Edward Cullen, who's like part of this family of like good vampires um, that live in Forks. Um, I just want, if you hear the word vampire anytime we're talking about Twilight, I just want you to mentally replace it with the word rock. <laughs> because they're made because out they of rocks. rocks. All of their cells have turned to like hard mineral diamonds that's why they're sparkly which is what stephanie meyer said she said that's yeah, not even that's just not something us. that we said yeah she said it so. sparkly diamonds um and so in this movie it starts with a wedding which sure. like let's that's great first of all i will just give one note about this wedding i think this movie is from like uh when was this movie from like 2011 or something no like that it, like around 10 years that ago maybe right. something like that but the 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 scene of the wedding is basically what every like forest instagram wedding looks like now like it was very <laughs> ahead of its time it was really honestly the wedding scene is quite nice in terms of just the like production value like the is there an arch of greenery no it's just actual trees okay. but like everybody is sitting on like logs lanterns with candles there's lots of like split logs and there's like, sure. tree- yeah, there's lanterns and there's like twinkle lights, you know, like just lots of strong lights and that kind of stuff. Um, but mm-hmm. the greenery is like very green. Anyway, so um, Edward, uh, sorry, uh, Bella is 18. Just they I think they say it a couple of times just because of what's going to really what's going to transpire sure later. Understand yeah, um, that she is 18. That technically this is legal. Yeah. And uh, so she she and Edward are kind of in a little bit of a tiff because uh, she just wants Edward to turn her into a vampire. And like he really doesn't want to turn her into a vampire. And I think they do some kind of negotiation where they're like, we'll wait until after the honeymoon to turn you into a vampire or something like that. Why doesn't he want to turn her into a vampire? I think it's like one of those things where he's like, I don't want to turn you into like the monster that I am because he like still thinks he's a monster. He's very emotional, okay? Uh, yeah, go back and listen to the last episode where we talk about the scene where he reveals that he's a vampire and there's that swell of music and that like really, he's just like, I'm such a monster and then he sparkles in the sun. And then he sparkles, <laughs> yeah. his whole thing. Yeah. And there's some kind of like political drama yeah. with the werewolves that I like only incompletely understand. But anyway, so they get married and then uh, they go to uh, Rio. They fly down to Rio sure. Um, they like do some dancing in the street at night and then they eventually get on a boat and go out to an island, um, which is like where they're, they have like a house and that's like where they're going to have their, their honeymoon. 
Um, and there's a lot of like, once again, I think we, I think we did this in the last episode too, but there's lots of like, uh, not so subtle, like moralizing about like sex and stuff in twilight. Um, that happens again here. Uh, because like Edward is afraid to like have sex with Bella because he, he's convinced that it's going to like kill her because he's like so strong because he's a vampire. (laughs) I'm not even joking. I am not joking. I wish I were. Man. Um, and I was like, this is weird. I don't know. Like, I don't know how to interpret this. I, I, I was, I'm curious how teenagers interpret that sort of messaging. Um, but ultimately poorly is my guess. (laughs) Um, ultimately, uh, they do. And Bella doesn't die. Uh, but they destroy like the entire, like they destroy everything. Like the bed's broken. There's like pieces of poster, like their four poster bed pieces are everywhere. And mm-hmm. anyway, so ultimately, a lot of like things happen where like Bella gets pregnant. And the first sure. thing you know is it because she does what? She feels sick and throws up, <laughs> which in a movie means. Which is another thing I hate about like that is our only indication in all movies and TV that someone is pregnant is like they vomit. They and vomit. Just, like, <sighs> you're like, okay. You can vomit for other reasons so, if you're a woman. Well, to be like, fair, she does think that she's vomiting because uh, she cooked herself chicken like the day before. And. Okay. And she ate it. And she's like, oh, I must have had some bad chicken. I was like, or you have a vampire baby. Who knows? It's yeah, one those or are your other. two options. Yeah. It can't be anything else. Yeah. So, um, so, so Bella's pregnant and we're going to get into that. So let's talk about like vampires and pregnancy. Or I, should I say, uh, Stephanie Myers, uh, rocks who rocks. like to suck blood, um, and pregnancy. <laughs> so one of the yeah. things, so there's actually like a, we found this information because there was like a Q and a that she posted to her website. Um, because people have asked her this question before about like vampires and if they can get pregnant or not. Yeah, Cause she established that they are rocks. And then, so naturally people were like, so how then? So how prangent. Um, yeah. So how prangent. So, uh, one thing she definitely does say is that the female vampires cannot get pregnant because since they are rocks, so are their uteruses and their uterus, their rock uteruses can't get bigger. So see like, Okay, keep going. It's, yeah. gonna, I have a follow-up question once you're done talking about <laughs> so this. So the part. rock uterus can't expand, <laughs> therefore it can't like have a pregnancy. Um, and then they mm-hmm. ask, so then there's a question of like, okay, fine. So uterus, rate-limiting step, got it. Or I guess rock uterus is a rate-limiting step. So moving on, so Bella has a human uterus, um, and so sh- that's not a rate-limiting step for her. But then the question is like, okay, so then how, but like how prangent you know, so yeah. what she says is that, um, you know, the vam- vampires have uh, like their their rock cells are like designed to look like human stuff, skin and all that stuff. And they have these like venoms, all these different like types of fluids in their body to like <laughs> lubricate stuff so that they can like move so that they're not like literally like stone uh-huh. statues. And she says that there are fluids that are closely related to uh like semen uh that exist in male vampires that also carry genetic information and are capable of bonding with like an ovum to make a baby so sure just some vague hand wavy so things about genetic information she doesn't say cells she actually <laughs> says fluid which is challenging right. Um, and then, yeah, that's where we are. That's where we are. That's where we are. Here are my multiple follow-up, here are my multiple follow-up questions about yeah. this. Okay. One, 
Why do rocks need any kind of fluid that carries their genetic material? Oh, like why do they have anyway, it? If for the way this one, yeah, for like this if the one way that purpose. they convert, because the the only way that's at true. least that's historically in this established lore that they have reproduced is they convert humans into rocks. That's they don't that's like true. try to impregnate people. Yeah, this is right? a bad explanation. So, like, yeah, that's one right. question. Mm-hmm. I don't Two, have an answer for that one. On her website, she says the normal reactions of arousal are still present in vampires. That's a quote from the FAQ, right? Like of the answer that she gave. Yeah. So arousal includes tissue swelling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like why does that get to swell and not uteruses? I don't know. Probably like patriarchies. Why can male vampires get erections and uteruses can't swell? But even outside of erections, like female tissue swell too when you're aroused. So like if female vampires can still get aroused and they are normal reactions, why is it only uteruses that can't expand? I don't know. I don't have an answer to this question. Deepa, answer all these questions. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I do think I do think that the uh, w- like, why would they have this genetic information is a great question, actually, because like there's no need for it. I think all my questions are great questions. The second question, I'm sure that I could they could hand wave through something about fluids and like uteruses. Maybe well, honestly, it would have been, been a better too, it would have been a better out for her if she had just said that, like the uterus dribbles up and dies, you know? Yeah. That's totally yeah, acceptable, 100%. actually. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're making up this lore. Make it up however you want. <laughs> make like, it this consistent. Is, this is, if you've decided now that some tissues can swell and some can't, you have to tell me why that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, my problem is that this fluid thing that has quote unquote genetic material, it seems very just like it. it's not what the number of things that have to go correctly for that to like be helpful is so many like the yeah. right amount of genetic material has to get inside the ovum you know and it's and it has how many extra pairs of chromosomes it has 25 chromosomes Didn't we figure that out well it has 25 right. pairs pairs yeah, yeah. um and yeah. so like you know the right ones have to get in and then you kind of have to my my thought is that based on like what this eventual baby like looks like, which is like mostly just looks like a human, um, that <laughs> that those uh, like that they have to do the same things that a, a human and human fertilization have to do, which is like implant in the uterus, create start the start embryogenesis, start making the placenta, make the amniotic sac, like do all those things, and like the chances that genetic. Uh, random genetic material from a vampire can do that when paired from a rock from <laughs> from a rock can do that is like it takes lots of leaps to get there i mean i mean yeah. if she had even said that there's like some kind of rock cell like i i i, I just really can't get past the pa- fact that the genetic material is not packaged in some way here's the thing though like like this is one of those cases when you're writing stories like this like sometimes more information is worse than less information, <laughs> yeah. right? Because like, because also like, you could you just say? be like, you could also just be like, we don't know, right? Bella is special somehow. That's yes. the whole point of these books is that That's Bella true. is special somehow. So you could have literally just been like, this has never happened before and we don't know how pregnancy works and we don't know if if male rock vampires have seminal fluid of any kind. Yeah. But like apparently it worked here. You're right. We don't know. In, like, the story, that. in the story itself, most people are most of the like, uh, of the Collins are spending their time being like, I don't know what this is. It was Stephanie yeah. Meyer who Nobody like knows. decided to add all of this information. Yeah, this is what I'm talking. Just like, don't add random paratextual information that nobody actually. Yeah, it needs. actually made it more like, complicated. Just, 
So yes, it makes stuff more difficult. So Bella gets pregnant anyway, and then they they escape <laughs> yes. from not escape. They just voluntarily leave. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. <laughs> their Brazilian they island from their honeymoon. They escape from their honeymoon, <laughs> and they go straight to the Collins like huge mansion in Forks. Now, I will just remind everybody that she doesn't tell her dad that she's back. She doesn't tell her dad that she's pregnant. Like her poor dad thinks that she's just like the, yeah. the lie she tells him is that she's sick and they have to stay in on their honeymoon longer, which is awful. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, uh, Bella has this like very rapidly. Uh, expanding belly. And Here's one question, actually. Hold yeah. on. Hold on one second. Yeah. Does her dad know that the Cullens are vampire rocks? No. Oh, okay. No. Okay. He doesn't know that they're vampire rocks. Okay, so then, rocks. then she would have to explain a lot, I guess. Yes. If she yeah, 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 no, she would have to explain that. the whole vampire okay. thing, too. Yes. Um. Okay. So, yes. So they go, and then, and then she gets, like, really pregnant really fast, but in a really awful and horrible way. So oh what we God. wanted to... It is some of the worst things i've ever seen it it, on the one hand is incredible because it's like an extremely well done combination of like cgi work like mannequin work and makeup but it's also horrific it is horrible to look at um it's terrible like poor case too like she you know herself is already like fairly thin you know as far as like actress she's a small lady um but they somehow <laughs> made her like even more oh sickly it's, it's very bad so, so terrible um so when we first saw this uh so it doesn't take very long in the movie for her to become this person who's just like got this huge belly and like these teeny tiny little arms and like really sunken in face and all this stuff and we thought it would be fun to go through like if this person <laughs> if you were working in the emergency room and this person showed yeah. up like what would you do like there are parts at what, right. during Bella's pregnancy where she's like very, very sick. She's like not eating, not drinking, like all this kind of stuff. And if she was weren't surrounded by vampires, like somebody that saw her would be like, <laughs> we need to go to the hospital. Right. Right. Yeah. So so I think we decided that it would be kind of fun to talk through this, um, like the way that we normally take histories and kind of talk about patients with other medical professionals. So it's called presenting a case, basically. So if yeah. you're going to describe a case to somebody, there's usually a specific order in which you do it. And it's kind of the order in which we are taught to think through yeah. patients, how um, you like, and like how the they present same, and things like that. It's the way you organize the information um, and you basically do right. it the same every time so that your brain gets used to thinking in this order. Right. Which um, is like most so, of what medicine is, just thinking in the right yeah. way. <laughs> so... For in Bella's case, she would be this is like our one liner that you would say, yeah. like if you're presenting a patient, this is the first thing you would say to somebody, which is yeah. we have an 18 year old nulliparous, which means not previously pregnant yep. female with no significant past medical history who presents with a two week history of progressive abdominal distension, weight loss and bruising. Yeah. And uh, two weeks is about the time course. Right. So over um, the course of two weeks, she, her belly got real big. Right. Yeah. And so we're talking about like her belly got big quickly. She lost a lot of weight and then she has bruising. Yeah. Those so are this her is like, kind of three things that she presents with. So the sentence is like what you say if you're like the intern or the resident and you get all this information and then you come out of the room to tell like the attending to be like what's going on. Right. So the first sentence is like, all right, just get your brain in the right space. All right. So then we can go right. into um, then you go into like the pl- per the history. 
So uh, right. we go through a bunch of things, their past medical history. So like we said before, no significant past medical history. And that just means like, you know, no chronic medical conditions, uh, nothing right. like... Not previously diagnosed with anything yeah. that we know about, basically. Um, and then we would Except add in like, there... she has a history, a self-reported history of clumsiness, clumsiness. But we don't really know what that means. Whatever. Yeah. It's not a disease. Um, and then uh, <laughs> she, because she has this bruising, we would say, like, no known history of bruising or bleeding. Uh, no known right. surgical history. As far as we know, she's never had a surgery. She's not taking any current medications. She has no known drug allergies. Allergies are important to ask every single patient just so you don't give them something they're allergic to. Um, family history will have to say unknown. Uh, her father who would know anything about her actual family history is not there. Cause he doesn't know that she's pregnant. Um, right. And then we, and we don't know that either in this situation. Yeah. And yeah. then we ask a social history, um, which since we do mostly pediatrics, we ask about like what, what grade someone is in, who they live with, if they have any pets, like what kind of house they live in, that sort of stuff. Uh, for her, we'll say that she's recently married to a much older man uh, who appears mm -hmm. youthful, um, recently returned from her honeymoon that was in Brazil, which might be significant um, when you return right. from... So you always ask travel history, too, yeah. as part of a social... And then we ask if she's taking any medications. And as far as we know, she's not taking any. Uh, right. And then you go through something called a review of systems. And the point of a review of systems is basically to make sure there's nothing that you didn't ask that might be important. Right. Because when we're taking a history, like, you know, people are complex beings. There is a lot <laughs> of life history that you do not report to a doctor because, like, usually when you present, you're presenting for specific symptoms. So in this case, like yeah. abdominal distension like what we mentioned, weight loss, bruising. And so like when we start doing review of systems or when we start asking questions about medical history, we ask questions that are kind of start guide to start to guide our thinking basically about those three symptoms. And that's why like the questions that doctors ask you will seem like kind of specific is because we're trying to tease out specific things. But we also do a review of systems, which is just a more general thing where we go kind of like head to toe by system and just make sure we didn't miss anything. So yeah. The way that we report a review of systems, if you were talking to somebody else, is you basically only report relevant positives and negatives. Yeah, basically. relevant positives. So any positives negatives. you would report. Yeah. And then relevant negatives you would report. Yeah. So in this case, I would say for constitutional, which is the first one, which is just kind of like general um, weight loss. Yep. She's positive for weight loss. She's positive for fatigue. Oh, She's yeah. pale. So power. She is so fatigued. Loss of appetite. <laughs> and then. I would say no fever because that's relevant because yeah. she doesn't have a history of like having repeated fevers or anything like that or night sweats, et cetera, yeah. as far as we know. Um, the next one then is uh, the like next head, category. Yeah, head, ears, eyes, nose, throat. Is that what H-E-E-N-T stands yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So there's, yeah. nothing, there's nothing relevant to report there. Neither, not, no significant positives or negatives. So we can move on from that one. Um, cardiovascular um, and respiratory yeah. system will say that she's positive for shortness of breath. Throughout her pregnancy, mm -hmm. Bella just breathes quickly and in a in a mildly labored way. So we're going to say positive and, shortness of breath. And shortness of breath is not uncommon for pregnant people either right. because yeah. of just like space, the abdominal distension. Yeah, essentially. I read that your minute ventilation um, increases by like 40 percent sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. Anyway, um, the next system is GI, so gastrointestinal. So we're positive for vomiting. Positive for abdominal distension, positive for discomforts, abdominal pain, and then we don't have any diarrhea. Yep. Uh, in terms of GU, which is genitourinary, we know that she has missed her period. That's actually something that on their honeymoon they talk about 
because she has mm-hmm. like she look. That's how she realizes she's pregnant. She's like just going through her bags, and then she sees that she's brought like some tampons, and then she realizes like, oh my gosh, I haven't gotten my period. Um, so irregular menses, <laughs> and then another positive, another like relevant thing we put in there is that she's not on any kind of contraception. Um, heme, so hematology is next. And so bruising, we mentioned that's a positive, but no reported history of bleeding, which is relevant. And then musculoskeletal, um, I'll, we will rec- we will remark on her quite diminished muscle bulk Yeah, from her arms and, and then, legs. <laughs> and then neuro and psych. So like neuro, we'd say no loss of consciousness, no like head injuries, et cetera, that we know about, um, no seizures. And then for a psychiatric... We put question mark delusion because it kind of depends on whether or not she would be like what she tells you. She would tell us about vampires, or if she stuff. tells you, like, yeah. If she- <laughs> <laughs> Does, did Bella talk about vampires? Yes. All right. Positive delusion. <laughs> um, like you know, depending on whether or not in this context that we would know about vampires in this ER that we work in. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't but, know. Depends. Yeah. Um, so then, so that's a review of systems. So let's see, like, what did it add for us? I mean, sometimes you can put together a review of systems and it, it just helps you have like a, like certain diagnosis that you're going to like arrive at. Cause if I see like vomiting, abdominal distension, abdominal discomfort, weight loss, uh, bruising, if I put all of those together, I think she might have a tumor, tumor. Yeah. Yeah. My first thought is cancer. Anytime I see like weight loss, fatigue, bruising, bleeding or bruising really, uh, pallor, all those things. I'm like, oh gosh, like it could be cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, other things, uh, it could be like the abdominal distension, discomfort, no diarrhea, um, recent travel history. Like you could think of like infections and that sort of thing, uh, like a parasite right. or something. Um, and, uh, basically any woman that walks into an ER is like pregnant until proven otherwise. Um, and so yep. the next thing we move to, if they complain of any kind of abdominal pain. Yeah. Or even if they complain of a cough. I don't know. Um, So the next thing (laughs) is you move into the physical exam, which always starts with the vital signs, which are heart rate, respiratory rate, blood pressure, temperature, and oxygen saturation. Those are the ones that you get Mm -hmm. in the hospital. Um, So I would think that she would be a little tachycardic or have a fast heart rate um, for various reasons. One, she's very likely dehydrated because she hasn't been eating or drinking anything. And when you're Mm -hmm. pregnant, she has become very rapidly pregnant. So like... Her right. only way to, uh, and she's become rapidly very pregnant. So the only way for her to like maintain her cardiac output because she hasn't, she's not like slowly remodeling. She's like quickly trying to ca- keep up is to increase her heart rate. So that's my cardiology input there. Uh, she's short <laughs> of breath, so she's probably breathing fast. So it's tachypnea. Um, I'm going to say that her blood pressure is probably normal. She's not like fainting all over the place. So I don't sure. think she's getting like too hypotensive or anything. And we just decided her temperature was normal and that her oxygen saturation was 100%. That's <laughs> right. our poetic license. We don't have any reasons to assume that yeah. they wouldn't be. Right, so. exactly. All right, so then we get into the physical exam. So the vital signs are the first part of the physical exam. And then the next part is you. it's similar to the review of systems where you just go through every system, but you say what it is you actually see. So this is like, right. the this is objective. So we're in the like objective part of the exam. Everything before this was subjective because right. it's like reported by the patient. Right. And this is like what you have observed now. Yeah. Um, yourself, like what you're reporting. Yeah. So yeah. So in this case, Bella is pale. She's cachectic, which just means that she has, she's very thin and has evidence of like muscle wasting. And you guys have got to um, look up what she looks like. Oh my God. You have to look at the picture. Because like, it is... 
challenging. We cannot describe it in a way that fully encapsulates what this is. So just Google it. I have only, I mean, even though I've, you know, seen a lot of sick patients, like one of the things you learn early on in medicine is to be able to look at someone and decide very quickly if they're sick or not sick. And yeah, she's sick. She is sick. Yeah, she is sick. Yeah. Um, and then young woman, she has bruises on her arms and legs, and she is kind of quiet, subdued. <laughs> subdued. Is my impression of her from YouTube videos. Okay. Fine, <laughs> fine, fine. Her like H E E N T exam, whatever. She's not like she's her nose is clear, her eyes look fine, and she's she has temporal wasting, which is like when you get skinny at, on your temples, that's like a sign. That's like a sign that's more specific to like actual malnutrition. Uh, um, in terms of respiratory exam, yeah. so listening to her lungs we said that she's breathing a little bit quickly so mild tachypnea and then otherwise her lung fields sound clear so we don't hear any um noises that aren't breath sounds so yeah. like crackles rubs rails those are all different descriptions of sounds that you could potentially hear and they indicate different things yeah. that we would be concerned about but we don't hear any of those things and then in terms of her cardiovascular exam so we talk about it, that she's has a regular rate and rhythm actually probably she's a little tachycardic so her heart rate's probably a little fast the sounds of her heart i'm gonna say that she has a normal s1 and s2 which is the sound of the different valves of your heart closing um and nor everybody ha- everybody whose heart is normal has a, an s1 and an s2 um because of what i said earlier with the fact that she's like having to become tachycardic in order to like maintain her cardiac output i decided that she was going to have intermittently an extra heart sound called an s3 gallop <laughs> nice. um because that's something that can happen when you have to be a little like hyperdynamic. Um, but she's not going to have any murmurs. Um, I say her pulses are pretty good, um, but her cap refill is exactly three seconds. So your capillary refill is like if you punch, <laughs> if you pinch your nail and then you see how long it takes for it to go from white to pink again, uh, that's your capillary refill. And normal is less than three seconds. So I think hers is sitting right at three mm-hmm. seconds because she's a little dehydrated and she looks sick, mm-hmm. you know? I just like your attention to detail. Her perfusion is not perfect, (laughs) but it's not like terrible. You know what I mean? So next is her abdomen, um, which is kind of like, you know, most of her. One of the most of her is her abdomen comes in. Yeah. And so we would say moderate to severe distension of her abdomen with a palpable mass in the lower one third. Yep. Um, No bowel sounds. Nope. I don't remember why we decided that. I think it's just because she's sick. Or maybe okay. you just can't hear it because uh, of no, the rest of it. Yeah. No fluid wave and then um, liver unable to be palpated. So the fluid wave is a specific sign that you would look for because if you see abdominal distension, one of the things that you'd be concerned about potentially is whether or not this distension is due to fluid accumulating in the abdomen. Yeah. And if that were the case, if it was just fluid in there, you would see what is called a fluid wave. And that would make you think about things like heart failure, liver issues, like yeah. stuff like that. Like you want to know um, what it is. We don't see that. And there's her. actually a lot of things that you can test for just by examining before you do any like imaging or yeah. anything like that. Um, musculoskeletal exam, like we would just look at her. We can like feel and see um, like her muscle bulk in general, which is poor. She has wasting of her muscles, <laughs> her bilateral upper huh. and lower extremities. Her neuro exam, in neuro exam, you look for like deficits um, and you do, if depending on the thoroughness of your neuro exam, yeah. <laughs> you either do a lot of very fancy looking uh, like tests and games and things, or you just kind of mm-hmm. like generally get an idea. <laughs> that, yeah, like, it kind of depends. It doesn't seem like again, they're having a stroke. Yeah, it kind of depends on um, like 
these exams are thorough, but they're also guided because we're looking for specific things. Yeah. And so in her case, because she throughout this whole thing, our assumption is that she's like talking to you normally, can like tell you her history, etc. That there's not like we're not concerned that she like just had a stroke or something yeah. like that or like that there's something neurological necessarily going on. So you would do like a more general neuro exam to make sure her reflexes were fine and that, you know, she could like answer questions appropriately like things like that but you wouldn't do like as detailed of a neuro exam as some of our like neurology colleagues would do do, if you were concerned about like neurological issues specifically yeah and then the last thing is the skin and she we would say multiple scattered ecchymoses dermatologists man they have figured out ways to describe very simple (laughs) things with lots of words but multiple scattered ecchymoses ecchymoses is just a bruise and then we'll say that her yep. skin is intact, which um, lets you know that there's not like um, like a laceration or there's like a, a, a weeping like wound or something like that somewhere. And then we would say dry uh, because like dry generally is good for your skin uh, because if it's not dry, then there's like something like if you're clammy or weird or something like that. That's what you want to know. So that's her exam. Right. All right. So now we have like all the information. And what they teach you in med school is that you should come up with a differential diagnosis that then is going to like guide your management. So if you were to do her, right. if you were to do her like one, if you were to do the next step and say like, uh, do her one liner again with all the mm-hmm. information, what would it be? I mean, you, so I would say like largely the same thing. I would yeah. still say like 18 year old nulliparous female with no significant past medical history, um, presents with a two-week history of progressive abdominal distension, concerned for malignancy is my first concern. <laughs> so, like, I'm concerned about that. Is, like... Yeah. I think would I would be, say, like, would she be, like, is... my yeah, I would first say, like, two concerns, I would honestly. say, like, she's tachycardic to kipnic, has severe abdominal distension with significant muscle wasting, scattered bruises. Like You're going to say all that in your one-liner? Well, no. Now that I've done the whole thing, it, just to <laughs> let the person know why I'm going to do the next set of things... Yeah. I would say, and then differential includes. So we talked about, one of the things is like, I think you have to include pregnancy <laughs> because she's an 18 yeah, year old. Definitely. Who has a big belly. Definitely. But a lot of her symptoms, just yes. just got married. Yeah. And just came back from her honeymoon, honeymoon and stuff. Um, and, but. Although two weeks, you're still kind of like, okay. Yeah. But I think somebody who has a rapid growth that is losing, I don't know if she's lost weight, but she's definitely cachectic. Um, and uh, has bruises like a malignancy or a tumor or a cancer is like very very concerning. Um, and then the yeah. other thing, literally, could what be I like, wrote was my differential is tumor, and then my second thing is a different kind of tumor, but still a tumor. <laughs> and then also, and then later, I'm like maybe pregnancy, maybe pregnancy. Other things that are lower are like a parasite, and I think things that cause like acute liver failure could give you this but you would have other symptoms too like if you had acute liver failure, you probably have like jaundice right. and like other kinds of stuff going on so then all right so let's talk about what we're gonna what are we gonna order oh my gosh well pregnancy test yeah 100%. she has to get a pregnancy test mainly because you're um, gonna need a pregnancy test I mean, to then like do the other things but yeah and under labs like in in the studies and stuff in our notes i i wrote labs including a beta HCG, which is the serum pregnancy test. Well, it's also the urine pregnancy test. Yeah. But what's um, the secret so about the urine pregnancy HCG, test? What's the secret? Yeah. I'll tell I you. Know. The one we do what in the are, hospital is like the same one that you get at the drugstore. Oh, is that your secret? <laughs> it's the same. I, I used to have okay. a couple except, of times. Except the hospital will charge you a lot for it. Yes. But, the hos- I, the, I have had um, a couple of times where girls came into the ER when I was on 
because they had a positive pregnancy test and then they came to get the real pregnant like the hospital one it's like it's the same oh Oh, yeah yeah i mean like if you go to the hospital and get a pregnancy test like you would ideally if you were going to do that get a serum one at least because yeah there's no point in going to the hospital to do a urine pregnancy test yep anyway but in addition in addition to that i would get like a full panel of labs because we're worried about like liver failure and because of her muscle wasting and stuff like you'd want electrolytes and all of those things yeah but Specifically, we're talking about beta HCG because we all know that we're talking about Bella Swan being pregnant. Yes. So beta HCG is um, human chorionic gonadotropin, Mm -hmm. which is the hormone that stimulates the corpus luteum, which is basically like during a menstrual cycle after your ovarian follicle releases an egg Uh that turns into a corpus luteum. Yeah. And the corpus luteum produces progesterone. The corpus luteum is like the egg's hype man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. And it produces progesterone. And if you don't get pregnant, then it just goes away. And then if you do get pregnant, then the beta HCG is the hormone that stimulates the corpus luteum to continue producing progesterone, which maintains the pregnancy for the first trimester. And Um, and it basically rises. Go ahead. Keep going. No, you can keep going first. Okay. It rises exponentially and then kind of peaks around 10 weeks of pregnancy. Um, and then it kind of decreases a little bit after yeah, that. Yeah, because then like all the pregnancy things are happening and you're kind of good. Um, right. It is, the level of it is high enough in the blood and in the urine around like 12 days that you'll start be start having, like being able to be positive on the urine test. Right. Yeah. Right. But it is one of those things that because it does take some time, it is possible to take pregnancy tests too early. Yes. And, and that get a is false negative. That is what a pregnancy test is testing for is this protein. Right. Right. Or I guess hormone. Um, <laughs> in addition to uh, being a hormone that is important in detecting pregnancy, mm-hmm. it's also elevated in certain types of tumors. So it's also used as a tumor marker. Um, and so one of the things that happens is if you if you get if you do this test and it's elevated and then you don't find an intrauterine or inside the uterus pregnancy or an ectopic pregnancy which means outside the uterus somewhere it's not supposed to be then you're like okay what kind of tumor like am I what is with? making like, this it's not a thing about. that you have in your body right. normally or not right. at like a it's high being level secre- it's coming from somewhere something it's is being making secreted it by something if it's not yeah. a baby so if it is not a pregnancy yeah. then you got to figure out where it's coming from yeah uh, so the next thing, so we'll do that test for sure. And basically all girls that like show up in an emergency room get a pregnancy test. But um, so the next thing, definitely. So we'll do all the labs, CBC, CMP. Mm-hmm. What else do you want? <laughs> Those are the main ones. I mean, all of the things. Yeah. CM- yeah. A CMP is a com- comprehensive or complete metabolic oh, panel. That's a great question. I think and it includes complete. like liver, your liver labs and all that stuff. Too. Yeah. So uh, probably get some coagulation studies, PTI and R. All that stuff, all the sure. labs, with the bruise, with the bruising and stuff. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, then we would get onto the imaging that we're gonna do. So they won't take her to X-ray until her her pregnancy test comes back. So <laughs> we're gonna start with the thing that is uh, not using radiation, which is definitely ultrasound. So I would definitely, I mean, ultrasound is is easy. Oh right? yeah. Uh, and yeah. so an ultrasound is something that they could do bedside, like in the emergency room yeah. while they're waiting for stuff. While you're Just waiting to kind for of get an else. idea even. Yeah. Yeah. Like what is happening. So one thing that they actually say in in the movie 
is because they're like the so all the vampires are just like flabbergasted that this even happened like that this was possible and carlisle is like a doctor (laughs) okay so like he himself is like i don't know what's happening um and so one of the things he says when he's like trying to figure out what it is is that ultrasounds and needles won't penetrate the embryonic sac which i think is a like reference to the fact that they're rocks and so sure and that the embryo implies that he tried to penetrate with a needle <laughs> embryonic sac he might have needle. tried it with the needle i mean he probably tried it with an ultrasound that's totally reasonable but yeah i guess he, sure he may have tried with the needle which is like takes a a man with some serious cojones to just go poking at an embryonic sac with the needle yeah no kidding i mean also I he's he, kind of like assuming when, it's like a demon and so he he is probably not too concerned if he like accidentally kills it again hitting all of mystical pregnancy bingo squares <laughs> yeah but the ultrasounds won't penetrate, I assume, means that my assumption, like interpretation of what that means is basically that it's what we call hyperechoic. So like if you're ultrasounding stuff, what you're looking at is sound waves bouncing off of stuff. Yeah, it's the reflection and of the sound wave back to the probe. To the probe. Yeah. And so if something is hyperechoic, then it shows up bright white when mm-hmm. you're looking at an ultrasound thing. And it basically just means that stuff, the, the sound waves bounce off more. Yeah. Then, and you can't see anything past it. Densities. Yeah, and you can't see anything past it. it. Which is oftentimes what happens with like bones. Right. So frequently, this is like bones, calcifications, like stuff like that. Yeah. And so I assume because this is a rock fetus, this is probably what you would see. At least a partially rock fetus. Some like it just looks like like (laughs) I I think what you would see is you'd see like the muscle of the uterus. You'd probably see a little bit of like the uterine cavity, and then you may you might see like the stalk, and then you just have like a a bright white like crescent and then nothing yeah, past and you'd it. be like what, what is that is that and then you like move the probe yeah. around and you're like trying to look for something and all you see is white yep so it'll just bounce off so you won't be able to see anything inside that sack with the ultrasound right i think that's what he's trying to say is like when you think about like later on in pregnancy when you get ultrasounds of the fetus you can see the baby right like you can actually see yeah. like the fetus in there yeah um i think that's what he's trying to say is that you can't see anything yeah like he can't beyond, see like, what like rock. what it looks like yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um, he can't see anything inside basically but there are other tumors that can um, be so, in there not that a baby is a tumor right sorry there <laughs> no a baby is not a tumor <laughs> but there is a tumor that i was thinking about that could potentially I mean, it won't really give you this pattern, but it might give you aspects of this pattern. And it's a teratoma. So a teratoma is a germ cell tumor, which is made up of several different kinds of tissue. And so, so like germ cells, like we talked about, are like sperm and egg. And by definition, teratomas are made up of tissues from the different um, embryological layers in development. So those layers are endoderm, mesoderm, and ectoderm. And each of those layers basically develop into different, this is like a super quick and dirty crash course in embryology, but each of those layers develop into different body systems. Yep. So like the endoderm generally develops into like your dis- digestive tract and the lining of your digestive tract and also like epithelial layers. So the lining of like your trachea and your lungs. So the bronchi, the alveoli, the lining of that. Yep. Um, and then also parts of glands. Yep. And then the mesoderm is like you mostly think of it as developing into muscles, skeleton, circulatory system, fat, dermis. Mm -hmm. And then ectoderm 
is the one that develops into like epidermis, so the outermost layer of skin, and then hair, nails, teeth, and the nervous system. Great. So so when we talk about teratomas, there's like multiple different kinds of ovarian teratomas. It's like, a, it's like teratoma the Neapolitan of embryology. Yeah, there's like a lot. But the two like main categories I'm going to briefly mention are basically mature and immature. So like a mature teratoma basically just means that it contains differentiated tissue and is mostly considered a benign tumor. Yeah. Um, and benign in this case, when we're talking about cancer, just means that it doesn't invade surrounding tissues. It doesn't mean that it can't have bad effects because teratomas can grow to be pretty large. They can like compress organs. They can cause a lot of other issues like benign but tumors in like general can do that. But they don't like invade other organs and like... Right. Yeah. They don't like travel, like cancer cells don't travel through your bloodstream and they don't like metastasize you end up with cancer in other places or something like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, like, benign tumors, though, can also transform into malignant ones, and teratomas mm-hmm. can do that, but that's relatively rare. Um, and then immature teratomas basically contain embryonic tissue or undifferentiated tissue, which means that it still potentially could develop into like malignant cells. So, those are considered malignant tumors because the likelihood of those being invasive and being able to spread is higher you remember in uh, um, my big fried greek wedding when she's like i had a lump <laughs> yes. yeah she's like i had a lump i forgot what she called it she, she was called like it a, a lump she called it a l- yeah but then she she no, tried to say she the, tried to like, say the word biopsy she was like and she goes the bob oh, they did the a bop 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 yeah. and that's how right, they found you're out right. you're right it was my twin and they found it was teeth my twin. and hair. I was like, it was not your twin. Yep. It was, in fact, a teratoma. It was a teratoma. Yeah. It was, in fact, probably a mature a cystic mature teratoma. A mature cystic teratoma on her shoulder. the most common type. Um, and it basically, a mature cystic teratoma will include tissue from at least two germ cell layers. And most commonly, it's like ectoderm and mesoderm, which means most commonly you'll find hair, fat, muscle, skin, uh, maybe teeth. Teeth inside these masses so they are very like well circumscribed like well contained masses that have the muscle in them <laughs> skin hair fat teeth yeah. in them if you want to see like pretty gross pictures Ugh. like just google this yes because please do if yeah. you feel the need um if it is a mature teratoma then basically you can just resect it because again it's really well contained it's like well encapsulated so if you just resect the entire thing the chances of it like coming back is basically zero. Yeah. Um, if it's malignant, then usually surgery is followed by chemo. But we're not going to go into like a lot of details about grading of teratomas. No. Um, but I will link some stuff in the liner notes if you want to go look on um, Radiopedia and some of the pa- one of the papers that I link. They have a lot of pictures of what this might look like on ultrasound, oh, and then also okay. what it looks like in like gross histopathology, like like, and it yeah. is gross, literally. <laughs> So, yeah. And those are just like some of the sort of like abdominal masses that it could be, you know, like she could have. It's only one of the abdominal masses. That's true. One of the abdominal. There are so many things that it could be. Um, But let's say uh, probably what we would do is. So we try to do an ultrasound and fail. Yeah. I think the next. found like a weird mass. The next step would probably be to do like a CT scan. Uh, even though mm-hmm. she's pregnant, even though we're exposing her to radiation, but you have this like extremely sick person uh, in front of you. And so mm-hmm. you have to kind of like weigh the risks and the benefits. And generally the doses yeah. of radiation given for CT scans nowadays are like not that, uh, not as terrible as they used to be. But um, I think in this case you have to do it because you just, it just doesn't make sense that somebody yeah. who has theoretically only been pregnant for two weeks looks like they're nine months pregnant. Right. 
looks like this and cachectic. Yeah, and then if you did, if you did an X-ray or CT in Bella's case, you would find out that she has at least one broken rib. I yes. don't know if it's multiple. Yes, because ribs. as they said, as they said in the film, that the it's eating her from the inside out or crushing her from the inside out. God, that she has a broken rib. Okay. So this broken rib though adds a new layer because now you have this extremely malnourished looking pregnant woman who has bruises and a broken rib and so like you're the yeah. chances you're gonna have to talk to the social worker became a hundred percent oh yeah because oh, yeah. i mean like a hundred percent if i were conducting this interview i would kick edward cullen out of this yeah room and i'd be, and and be, you'd like, be like i do need you to feel talk safe? to bella swan yeah. alone yeah i would be like do you feel safe at home do i need to call I was like, people? this guy like, really kind of hovers over you in a weird way is he cool or like what do you think yeah yeah for yeah. sure um and so then once you do that i don't know i don't know where the assessment would go from there i mean you would probably on the ct scan you might be able to see what it is at some point somebody would be like bt jobs it's a vampire baby and you'd be like hold on what are we doing <laughs> be like i don't know what to, i guess discharge from the ed follow-up with your pcp in a few days here's some prenatal vitamins vampire pcp <laughs> here's some prenatal vitamins <laughs> I don't know. Oh gosh. Um, so then there's a couple other things with Bella's pregnancy that we'll touch on uh, right here. So I think we've mentioned it enough that, that she looks cachectic, right? We've yeah. talked about it, that. Again, look at the pictures. Because and cachexia it is, is, cachexia is actually like a very specific way to describe um, how a person looks when they are uh, not just severely malnourished, but it's it's a malnourishment that comes from a state where your your metabolism is actually like you're hypermetabolic. So when people talk about mm -hmm. like cancer cachexia, they're talking about a state in which because all the cancer cells are like doing so much activity, your body like it just can't keep up. And like that's why you look the way that you do. Um, and so yeah. she has this look, you know, she's like and, and, and on top yes. of that, she's like pale her like cheeks are sunken. She has the temporal wasting like we talked about before. She has a lot of proximal muscle wasting. I guess she has all muscle wasting. But like you can imagine yeah, that her, her, muscles are her, st her strength is not very good. Um, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it, I think we've talked about NG tubes on multiple occasions, I believe. Yeah. Iron Man oh, was I, given an NG tube. We definitely talked about an Iron Man. Yeah. My husband did point out that when we said NG tube in Iron Man, we did not define what that was. So what is an NG tube? Oh, know? an NG tube is, is a nasogastric tube. A naso meaning nose, gastric meaning stomach. And it's a long, flexible plastic yep. tube that you insert into the nose at the end of which goes into your stomach. And then you use it to deliver nutrition um, yeah. through the tube. Um, and so that's what somebody usually is referring to when they say they're getting tube fed. There are other types of tubes that go into your stomach, but we won't get into that. But I was disappointed because Carlisle is like a regular doctor and I would expect that he would have as much respect I mean, for nutrition, vampire, but, but still that he would at least, he's a rock that doesn't need to eat. I don't know why he would expect he, him to respect nutrition. I think nutrition, he's a doctor but. of humans. Yeah, but he probably has forgotten. Why does he know he's a, he's a practicing physician? Um, also, that's a whole other. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. So I was I was uh, disappointed that he didn't just like because she doesn't eat or drink anything for like long periods of time. So I definitely would have just put a tube down in her to try to get something in her. Because when you're pregnant. Oh, one myth I would like to dispel here is that when you're pregnant, you're not like you're not actually like eating for two 
quote unquote. Yeah, you're not eating 4,000 calories a day. Yeah, what you're supposed to do, according to ACOG, which is the American College of Obstructors and Gynecology, is basically add like an extra 300 calories per day per fetus. So if you have like one fetus, that's 300. If you have like twins... 600 triplets <laughs> 900 you get what i'm where i'm going with this but um i think the, the notion that you you're supposed to eat twice as much actually causes some people to like gain too much weight in pregnancy um there's mm-hmm. like a healthy amount of weight to gain and then there's too much the time where you really need to eat is when you're breastfeeding that's when like things get real yeah yeah because producing <laughs> milk burns a lot of calories mm-hmm Um, so yeah, so she needs like at least 300 more than the, like probably 500 calories that she's consuming at baseline, but they need to feed her something, (laughs) um, which leads us to what they do eventually feed her with, which is just blood. And what happens is like, I, I think that they're kind of like, uh, they, they, they do this like play on pregnancy cravings where they're all like sitting around trying to figure out like what they can feed Bella. And she's just like on the couch. Pregnancy bingo. Just like, yeah. And so they're like sitting on the couch. She's on the couch and she's like all cachectic and everybody's just like gravely staring at her. And Jacob kind of makes a joke uh, uh, that that like the fetus wants blood. And Bella kind of looks at him like, wait a second, that's that might be that might be it. And the Cullens keep around some amount of human blood as like an emergency supply, I think. Um, (laughs) Like in I thought they prided themselves on not drinking human blood yeah yeah they don't use the human blood it's i don't know what it's it's for they use it they drink animal blood um but they have some no 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 they had kept it in case she they had kept it in case she had the baby and that she needed to have blood like resuscitate like resuscitation okay okay okay, okay. um and so he's like i have some and so like it's the funny thing is i remember when you first watched the scene and i was like why is she drinking it out of a styrofoam cup Yes. Because they have this, like, bougie house. Yeah, because they have, like, a super fancy house, and it is, like, a big gulp cup of blood. (laughs) So what actually happens is they they actually put it in a glass, and it was just the look of a glass filled with blood that, like, made her a little bit sick. (laughs) She was like, I can't drink that. I can't look at it while I'm drinking it. And so Uh, then they they put it in. So Edward's like, I have an idea. So he puts it in the styrofoam cup. So then you can't see the blood yeah and she just like drinks it like it's a milkshake and it's very dramatic and she's like and they're like how does it taste and she just goes good and like she yeah, opens and her, her mouth and her teeth are all like stained, stained and red and yeah. she like drinks the whole thing and oh it's actually gosh. pretty it's gross like so extra yeah so it's so extra i also think it's one of those things that like the, when she drinks it because this is a clip that you can see on youtube and i'll link it in the liner you can notes, see a great like, deal of this movie on youtube blood yeah, that's true. The blood is like very thick. Yes. And I'm like, I've handled like packed run blood cells and stuff. Yeah. And it is not like, it's not that thick. It's not that like, thick. It's and not- it's, it's hard to just, the other thing is they, they take it from like the normal packed red blood cell like container and just put it in a glass. Right. Which probably right. it would like, when it's exposed to regular air and all that stuff, like it would start to clot and like do weird things. Yeah. And it wouldn't clot into a thick milkshake. It would just clot into a clot into a chunky that would milkshake. not go up a straw. So like, or like know. a chunky water milkshake or something like that. Okay, so there is something where people eat what we, I guess, what is technically called non-nutritive things, um, and you might have heard of it. It's yeah. called pica. 
um, which I mm-hmm. actually didn't look up the etymology of pica. I should have looked it up. It doesn't stand for everything. It's just oh, for anything. Either. It just is called pica, P-I-C-A. Um, and it's a condition where people eat um, generally associated with like ice, uh, ice, clay or mud, dirt, hair, uh, mm-hmm. paper. Um, and to actually make the diagnosis, like they have to eat it to a degree that it's like you have to eat it for a long amount of time. And a lot of times they say that like, you're eating it to the detriment of your like health. Like yeah. it's replacing like that show, which um, show on TLC. Oh, oh, is it on TLC or was on TLC? Oh, there was like a weird show. I forget what it's called. It was like my weird. Oh, what is it called? Yeah. 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 Pe- there, there was my like weird th- addiction or yeah. something like that. There was one where like, there was a girl who just ate like Splenda packets. I remember there was one where there was a girl who just ate Splenda yeah, packets. There was a girl who ate, couch cushions oh like the foam yeah from couch cushions I saw, um, there was a paper one I another think. one who like wanted to eat borax like cleaning oh that's stuff, not good which is not yeah yeah right none of that is good yeah so this is like an yeah, actual there's, a show about that. there's an it's an actual condition it's not the same as like having a pregnancy craving because generally in pregnancy, no, when not. you crave things, they're nutritive in the sense that they are like foods that have nutritional value. But pica <laughs> right. is something where you eat these things and it's associated with like being anemic uh, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's associated with other types of mineral deficiencies. Um, but very, very, very rarely is it blood <laughs> that the person is trying right. to eat or wants um right. also like bella drinking blood she drinks a lot of it rather quickly um and just generally like anything if you have a lot of it rather quickly it's probably going to make you kind of sick um and then mm-hmm. the thing about blood is that it, you're going to break down all the components of blood like in your stomach with the, your stomach acid and the rest of your gut. And that's probably just going to make you feel really sick because what goes into your body is not ultimately blood. It is like the breakdown products of blood. Right. So right. like and iron blood obviously and has a lot stuff. of iron in it. Yeah. And that will make you, if you have a lot of iron, like it'll make you nauseous. It'll make you vomit. Yeah. It'll make you have diarrhea. Like anybody that's taken like iron pills, like a lot of women have to take iron pills, like while yeah. they're pregnant, like those make can make you sick. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so that's that's Even a multivitamin that has iron in it can make you nauseous. So, oh, exactly. Also, if you ever want to taste something yeah. that's awful, try a pediatric liquid multivitamin <laughs> with iron. It oh is my God. one of it the is... grossest tasting things I've ever tasted in my yeah. life. And chi- we just so, make children so, take it for context, like in pediatrics, um, in residency. I think this is pretty common in residency programs, yeah. but. In our residency program, we did medication tastings where the pharmacist would bring you like small amounts of like commonly prescribed pediatric medications so that you could in liquid form so that you could tell basically so that you would understand what you're asking parents to put their children through. Yeah. When you prescribe things like daily multivitamin with iron and like these different antibiotics and stuff so that you can kind of like know and you can tell parents what to expect. Yeah. Um. And a lot of them are gross. And also, basically. like, think about what you're prescribing and see if there's something the else. Yeah, it tastes like a mouthful of, like, blood or pennies or something like that. It's multivitamin with iron and then um, flagell. Oh, I don't know I've had flagell. Like, oh, man, it's gross. Yeah. It's so gross. Yeah, and we just, like, make children take it. Anyway, um, I, yep. the, I, there's a, there is an interesting story about blood drinking, but I want to save it for the resident lounge. So are, can we go to the resident lounge? I think so, because at this point, like, we would present Bella, and then, like, based on what has happened in the books, I assume she would just leave AMA, like, against A hundred percent. Oh, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. <laughs> We'd be like, we're going to call the social worker, like, and Edward she's like, Cullen I have just, to leave. 
Yeah. And then you'd be like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, you'd have to like send the actually cops probably to- you would leave to call the social worker and then they would be like they would just be gone yeah and they would be like okay so yeah so yeah. she's and left then AMA. i don't know how much of this town the cullens own but you know she's left ama you find her and then you tell the rest of your co-residents about this crazy patient that you saw yeah no kidding okay so the resident lounge is where we basically talk about um interesting things that we came across while we were researching the episode. All right, I have to talk about my um, thing so first. So why don't you talk about Because your the thing second first. thing yeah. is I'm going to lose it. Okay. So, um there <laughs> yes. when I was looking up uh blood drinking, uh I ran upon the Wikipedia article for uh clinical vampirism, and so we can link that down there. But it's a very interesting story <laughs> because it gives it this is this tells you the dangers of uh, people who don't have like well-developed sense of humors. Um, so clinical vampirism <laughs> is not a real thing. Uh, and but if you just look it up like online, you'll see clinical vampirism and you'll call you'll see something called Renfield syndrome. And uh, basically there were these uh, there were these two people who in the um, uh, let's see, what was it early 90s or eight, eight, or late 80s, early 90s? Catherine Ramsland, who was a psychology professor, and uh, Richard Knoll, who were clinical psychologists, uh, wrote in a in one of the books that they wrote. They like described this syndrome that's named after uh, a character from Dracula, R. M. Renfield. Um, and what they actually wrote about was supposed to be a parody of uh, the DSM, which is the Diagnostic. Oh boy, Diagnostic and s- something manual. Something manual. <laughs> Um, but it's basically like the uh, it's like the manual for making uh, like psychiatric diagnoses. Um, and I guess around this time is when like because we're on DSM, what, like five right now, the fifth version of it. Yeah, I think but five. this would be like the DS. This is like the original, I think, when it came out. So uh, what the DSM does is it I guess diagnostic it ha- and statistical. It is statistical. OK, I thought that that was true. Yeah, and then I, in my I head, I was that, like, why was like, is it, it statistical? But the thing about yeah, the it's diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. Oh, there you go. So I so the thing they yep. were making fun of was like the DSM is like it's very uh, like formal and it has a certain language in terms of like the way they talk about like the pieces of a diagnosis. So these two psychologists were actually like making fun of that by describing like this fake disease of like people who drank blood. Um, the problem with that though, is then over time as, as we kind of talked about, like in the last episode with people being like fascinated with the idea of vampires and like drinking blood and all that kind of stuff, other quote unquote legitimate or like serious scientists would like refer to this book that they wrote of this fake disease to like mm-hmm. to back up their own research about like people drinking blood. So <laughs> there's extremely few nice. cases of people that are like pathologically drinking blood in the world. It's not a right. real thing. Clinical vampirism is not a real thing. Like people aren't just like drinking blood because they have a medical condition that causes them to drink blood. Right, like a c- compulsion or something like right. that that makes them do yeah, it. Like yeah, like mental or yeah. otherwise. There are some like uh like there are some you know, certain types of like religious or other types of like cultures in which they drink blood as part of like a, a yeah. that sort of thing. But that's not like a mental ill. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and yeah. so like and it doesn't even necessarily have to be religious because sometimes just consuming blood is more normal in other cultures. Like we talked about this yeah. last episode, but like in Chinese culture, eating pig's blood is not uncommon. Like yeah. that is a pretty common 
thing. Yeah. It's not usually in liquid form, like we're not drinking it, but like you're still eating blood. Right, exactly. So. But it just goes to show you, I just thought it was such a like funny story because even like now, I think that those psychologists are like, somehow this got out of control. <laughs> and they're just like, and we can't do anything yeah. about it now, <laughs> you know? So that's like sometimes those, there isn't there, I forget what the uh, internet rule is. Um, there's like an actual name for like a rule where it's like the parody of something is so close to reality that people can't tell. You mean a milk? Is that, a, is that what a milkshake real? duck is? No. No, a milkshake duck well, is something I don't, else. I don't, there's an actual term. It's not pose law. Pose law is about like how Nazis will come into every conversation. <laughs> but <laughs> there's another one. I'll have to think about that. I will have to think about it. But yeah, anyway, I just thought it was, I was like looking at random, rarely do you find such a, actually not rarely, but it's so fun when you find this kind of a gem just reading a Wikipedia article. Because the top (laughs) part of it is just like, oh yeah, Renfield, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Then you go down and it's like, these two people wrote this parody. And then this is how it got totally out of control. Because over the course of the next like 15 years, that's not the Nazi one then. It is Pose Law. No, it's not the Nazi one. Pose Law is, is... An internet culture, like, maxim that says that without a clear indicator of the author's intent, it's impossible to create a parody of extreme views so obviously exaggerated that it cannot be mistaken by some for a sincere expression of the views being parodied. Ah, got it, got it, got it. I don't know. I'd have to, yeah, I'll have to actually go like and that. read. I guess I don't have the context. I'm curious now. Yeah, I'll have to read what they wrote. I don't have the context because I've always just lived with the DSM, you know? And, like, That's true. Defining- and I don't know which DSM... They think, were making. I think it was the first one because they call like it. The, they, they said that they're making fun of the quote unquote new style DSM speak. Oh, uh, okay. So yeah. it's like the original. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Who knows? We should look that up. That would be interesting. All right. What is our other okay, resident so lounge thing? <laughs> the other one is a YouTube video that you just have to watch because like it's hard to explain. Here's the thing. You watch it it's one time. How is Prangent formed? <laughs> you watch it one time and, and somebody just has to say how is Prangent formed to you and you will be on the floor yeah. in a fit of laughter. Just- <laughs> If you ever meet Deepa, just know that this is her weak spot. And if you ever just need to incapacitate her with laughter, all you have to do is go up to her and say, how is Prangent formed? <laughs> it is. Because the video, I can't even like, I don't at this point, I don't even need to watch the video. But watching yeah, you just it, think about it, it is so funny. Should we say what it is or no? I think it's better for people yeah, to Yeah, we won't say what it is. Click the you link. Should just, I'll link it, but you should, you should go check it out. <laughs> Deep is not going to be able to hold it together for this. Okay, (laughs) we're we're going to go to our discharge summary, which is where we review the actual thing that we talked about. So for Twilight Vampire Rock Pregnancies, (laughs) Deepa, what rating would you give it? I will give Bella Swan's uh, Vampire Rock Pregnancy. Um, I'm going to give it one out of ten hyperechoic embryonic sex. And I'll give it the one... (laughs) Because it made a reference to her not having her period, but that's it. Otherwise, what she had was a tumor. Okay. I'm going to give it a 0.5 out of 10 styrofoam cups filled with blood because I have so many questions about this genetic material situation and like how we even got to this point. But I will say that it gets a 10 out of 10 for winning pregnancy trope bingo because <laughs> like, it literally hit every That's single two bingo cards pregnancy worth of trope. bingo yes yeah, so many like so it just filled the entire board 
Like you bingo with the I don't even know if there's a term for that in bingo, but whatever it is, they got it. I will give them I will give that. it I will also give it an an eight out of ten um sunken cheek temporal wasting Kristen Stewart oh, for how sick they made her look. Cause it is truly it did incredible. Those the makeup people CG people need a race. I like you that. stare at it and you're just like, you don't know what is it's makeup. Like horrible. What is CG? What is potentially like we'll talk about the yeah. use of mannequins when we talk in the next episode, uh, when we talk about the birth. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's I'll, I'll give them some points for that because it really is quite like it's like a visceral reaction to how she looks. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Anyway, um, on that note, <laughs> thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Docs Watch. You can subscribe to our medical ramblings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at DocsWatchPod or visit us at DocsWatchPod.com.